podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to The Daily Red, your lunchtime catch-up on all things Liverpool FC on a Thursday on which the aftermath of David Ornstein's bombshell yesterday that Liverpool have inquired about Dominic Zaboslai and then further information coming out that they've met with his people and are keen on a deal for the Hungarian is still being worked through by Liverpool fans. Now, obviously, Ornstein's piece and the pieces that followed by Paul Joyce and Paul Gorst in the Echo mentioned that this is a difficult deal to conclude. Now, the reason it's a difficult deal to conclude is that his buyout clause, which is about $61 expires on June 30th. And then after that, you have to negotiate a fee with Leipzig. And people have said, obviously, that does make it complicated because if you're paying the buyout, you generally have to pay it in one lump sum. After that, they will probably want a higher fee, which, you know, is absolutely within their rights to want a higher fee because this is a an outrageously talented player that we're talking about here. This is one of the best young attacking midfielders in world football. He'll have he has three years left on his deal, so Leipzig aren't worried about losing him for free. But it is still likely that he does leave this summer. Now, obviously, he's been strongly linked to Newcastle, but Newcastle have spent a significant chunk of money on Sandro Tonali to come in from AC Milan, and given all of the spotlight that's been shone on Manchester City because of their underhanded dealings and their financial carry-on, shall we call it. Newcastle seem to want to be, at least on the surface, very careful about how they spend, how much they spend, and what they spend on. So it may be that they don't move for Zabozlai. They did pull out of talks for James Madison after the Tonali deal, and it appeared like they'd moved to Madison from Zabozlai, perhaps figuring that that was an easier deal, a cheaper deal to do, because that could be paid in, in instalments, and if they wanted to get Zabozlai, it would be in one lump. It may also be the case that they got word from Zabozlai's camp that he wouldn't really have any interest in going to Newcastle. He would rather hold out and wait for, with respect, a bigger club. Even with Champions League football, I don't think Newcastle are going to be as big a draw as we are, even outside of European, uh, outside of Champions League football. So it appears like this deal is there to do. 
I said well before we signed him that Alexis McAllister was the closest thing going to Ilkay Gundogan. Dominic Zabozlai is the closest thing going to Kevin De Bruyne. He is a world-class playmaker, big, powerful, great ball carrier, incredible set-piece delivery, and great open-play delivery. This past season, in 3,700 minutes, he had 10 goals and 13 assists. Playing in a team that was a little bit hit and miss, the previous season, he had 10 goals and 9 assists in just 2,100 minutes. So, from an output point of view, this guy is very, very impressive. The season before, playing for Salzburg, he had nine goals and ten assists. If we go back a season before that, 12 goals and 18 assists. Now, again, that is in Austria, but that's 30 goals and assists in 2,675 minutes. This guy is a machine, and that was in the 1920 season. He was 19 turning 20 at that point. From a technical point of view, in the season before that, he was 11 and 10 in 1,600 minutes between Leipzig uh, and Leffering. So this is a really special player. One who produces game after game after game, and he's also very versatile. He's played central midfield. He's played right of a three, left of a three. He's played as a 10. He's played right wing. He's played left wing. He can fit into pretty much any shape and system that you want him to fit into. He's not great off the ball, but good off the ball. Shows good pressing instincts and shows a willingness to learn and to work. He's also spoken multiple times about his admiration for Klopp. There's an old clip you'll find if you look for it. When Salzburg found out they'd drawn Liverpool in the Champions League, there's a clip of Haaland and Zabozlai, and they're like two kids on Christmas Eve. They are so excited about the chance to play against Liverpool, the chance to play at Anfield. It's one of the reasons I thought we might actually sign Haaland at one point before obviously the price went bananas. We should have got him from Salzburg. We shouldn't have let him go to Dortmund. But, I mean, Dominic's a great passer, like a genuinely great passer. Short, medium, long range, he is outrageous. He's a creative player in play and from set play. You're talking about 323 shot-creating actions from live ball situations and 1.02 from dead ball situations. Those are both pretty elite numbers. 0.41 goal-creating actions from live balls and 0.09 from dead ball, which doesn't sound like much, but is in the 87th percentile. Defensively, he does his share. Now, there's work to be done. Needs to get better when the ball gets behind him. When the game is in front of him, he is just a different class of player. For his size, he's he's 6'1". You'd like to see him be a little bit more aggressive in the air. But again, you have to figure in what type of player he is. 
this is a creative attacking midfielder. So, in the new shape, him and Alexis as the two eight slash tens is pretty outrageous. The issue is who's next to Trent. It can't be Fabinho. He doesn't have the legs to do it. He's not dynamic enough for that role. I've seen some people say Kefren Turam. I mean, in time, you could mould him into that type of player, but you'd lose most of what makes him special. My hope for Kefren is if we sign him as well, he's developed as an eight and we just have great depth in those number eight spots with him and Curtis behind Alexis and Dominic. But you'd still need a number six. You'd still need a dynamic ball winner. Whether that's Manu Kone, Florentino Luis, Romeo Lavia would work in that role. It's very enticing. It's very, very attack-minded. I would love those two as the 8-10s in a back four with a box midfield. With a back three, it does just make me a little bit uneasy. Now, you could work it in a diamond, and a diamond probably does work better. And I've championed the Ajax Van Hal era diamond before. Three, diamond, three. But again, you will need a ball winner. Like Edgar Davids was vital to that team. If we played Trent in the deepest role, Alexis in, say, the Seydorf role, which I think actually would work perfectly. Seydorf is the kind of predecessor to Gundogan in that type of link role. Alexis is the successor to Gundogan. Dominic is the 10, but you'd need that Edgar Davids type. You'd need that ball winner, especially considering, like, Trent is better on the ball than Frank Reichardt was in terms of his passing range, but Frank Reichardt is one of the greatest defensive midfielders the game has ever seen. Now, Trent's defensive work is better than he gets credit for, And in that role, perhaps he expands on it and works on it and develops it and gets even better. But you would definitely need a ball winner. And it can't be Kefren Turam. He's not a ball winner. He can win the ball, but that's not his primary function in a team. I'd be fully on board with Sabozlai. I would just have some concerns defensively about us. But he is such... A unique talent. Like I said, for me, he's the closest thing to KDB. He's got the... like, And the thing with KDB is it's not just the skill set. It's the build, the physique. Dominic has that. And he's someone that if you've been listening to me on any podcast for years, I've been championing this kid. So I'd absolutely be, um, be fully invested in it. This is Anfield have two interesting pieces that I wanted to mention before we get into today's main topic, which we're already 10 minutes into this pod. So this one might be a little bit longer than normal. Uh, Liverpool are really keen on Mines youngster Nelson Vieper, allegedly, according to Build. Uh, he is 18 years of age and has been scoring for fun in their underage team. Um, don't know much about him. 
allegedly the price tag being talked about is somewhere in the 20 million range, 20 million euro range, which seems very, very high for a player that I don't know has, um, no, he's nine first team appearances scored twice. It would be a, a big outlay. I think he's one. If you bought him, you'd have to loan him back out. Um, so that's that. They've also done ranking Liverpool's six midfield targets for Klopp's next signing. So number six, Gabri Viega. That's fair. Five, Romeo Lavia. Four, Ryan Gravenberch. Well, Lavia is significantly better than Gravenberch and should be significantly higher than Gravenberch. Gravenberch should be number six on this list. Without question. He's the worst player here. He might have the most talent on the list, but he's the worst player on the list. So he's six. Viegas five. Lavia or Manu, Manu Kone. Kone's the better player now. Lavia has a much higher ceiling. But we'll go Lavia four. Kone three. Kefren two. And I think that deal gets done as soon as these under 21 euros are over. And Zabozlai is the clear number one, without without a shadow of a doubt. If we could land Dominic, Kefren and Kone, I mean, Kone would fit that David's role perfectly. Absolutely perfectly. And then you've got Kefren to rotate along with Curtis and Besetic in those wide and ten spots. Curtis can play... 8 or 10, Kefren could play 8 or 10, and Besetic can play either 8 role. Hmm, that wouldn't be bad at all. We'd probably have to sell Thiago, which I'm fine with. I actually, I think Thiago, Joel Matip should both be sold this summer because their contracts are up next year, and I'm sick and tired of us letting players leave for free and then crying that we're poor. I'd also be shifting Costas Simicus or Andy Robertson, one of them. I, Costas is the obvious one to go, but Robbo's older. He'd bring in more money. He doesn't count as homegrown. He is declining. There isn't really a strong argument to be made for keeping Andy Robertson at this point if we're shifting to this new shape. Yes, we'll want a left-back in the squad, a traditional left-back, but it would make more sense to keep Costas because A, he's younger. B, he's cheaper. Wages are about half what Andy Robertson's on. And C, he's been in a backup role for us. It wouldn't be new to him. I don't know how Andy Robertson would react if he went from first choice to all of a sudden you don't play very often. If Newcastle are looking for a left back and willing to spend decent money, Andy Robertson. Um, let's move on. Uh, stunning goal highlights Jurgen Klopp dilemma as Liverpool playmaker raises important question, says Liverpool.com. So Harvey Elliott scored for England's under 21s last night. He picked the ball up in his own half, uh, ran at the German defence, had to beat a sum total of no players because one of them ran away from him and the other was just incredibly slow uh, Dardai incredibly slow why the German centre-backs decided to switch I've no idea Bissick went with a runner 
Dardai then had to take Harvey and was just painfully slow. Harvey was never within two yards of him. Just kept running and running and running. And then it's a really good finish. It's a really good goal. But nobody tackled him. <laughs> nobody made an effort. It was quite embarrassing, really. The The Germans, I would imagine, are, are a little bit concerned about what's happening with their national teams. Uh, but that was a shambles last night from Germany. Right, we're going to ju- run through the Gerard Houllier years here. Um, starting off in the 99-2000. 99-2000, I believe. Yeah, 99-2000. Um, so, going out the door, Ivan Leonardson sold to Spurs for $4.5 million. <clears throat> David James sold to Aston Villa. Paul Ince sold to Middlesbrough. Sean Dundee sold to Stuttgart. How he got money, I don't know. Bjorn Torkovarma sold to St. Etienne. And Karl-Heinz Riedle sold to Fulham. I remember being annoyed about the Riedle sale because I don't see any reason we couldn't have kept him. Um, Tony Warner left and joined Millwall. Rob Jones left and joined West Ham. Jamie Cassidy left and joined Cambridge. Ian Dunbavin left and joined Shrewsbury. They were all free transfers. But the biggest departure was Steve McManaman, who was our best player, uh, and left to join Real Madrid on a free because, well, <clears throat> because Julier tried to sell him to Barcelona and he didn't want to go there. That's basically what happened. According to McManaman, that's what happened. They tried to sell him to Barca. He didn't want to go. And he thought, right, well, screw you. You're not going to give me the contract I want. You're trying to sell me without my permission. I'm just going to go ahead and see out my contract and leave on the free. 12 million was the fee Barca had agreed to pay for him, and we got nothing. 12 million back then was enormous money. So, incomings. Leighton Maxwell was promoted to the first team squad. Eric Meyer arrived on a free. Titi Camera arrived from Marseille. Vladi Schmitzer arrived from Lens. Dietmar Hamann arrived from Newcastle. Stefan Ancho from Blackburn. And some random Finnish fella that we'd never heard of from a Dutch club we'd never heard of called Willem Tway, called Sammy Hippia. We did then bring in Emil Heskey after that for a club record fee of 11 million. But Haman, Ancho, and Hippia, that really told us what we were getting with Gerard Houllier in charge. He was going to build a team that centred around being great defensively. Those two as centre-backs, Carragher went to full-back that year, and Sander Vesteveld was our new goalkeeper to replace David James, and he was an upgrade, to be fair. Uh, that year, we finished fourth in the league. We got knocked out in the fourth round of the FA Cup by Blackburn at home. And we got knocked out in the third round of the League Cup away to Southampton. The League Cup was bananas that year. You had to play a two-legged tie in the... Well, it was actually the second round, and we went out in the third round. Um... Yeah, so 
all in all, not a bad first season. We missed the Champions League because we had a horrible end to the season. We were nailed on for Champions League football and we didn't win any of our last five games. We lost three and drew two of them, having had, to that point, a very good season. And it's not just that we could have gotten third and gotten into the European Cup. We actually should have finished second that year. If our form hadn't fallen apart at the end of the season, we likely would have finished second that year. Now, we'd have been a mile off United, but still, second place would have been some comeback from seventh the previous season. Now into the 2000-2001 season, which is one of the greatest seasons uh, that I've ever had supporting the club. Going out, John Newby, Steve Staunton, Phil Babb, Eric Meyer, Brad Friedel, Stigging Gabjornaby, Titi Camera, Rigobert Song, David Thompson, and Dominic Matteo. Coming in, Yari Litmanen, Peggy Arfixed, Marcus Babel on a free, still by far the best player we have signed on a free, although Yari's probably second. Gregory Vignal, Gary McAllister, Daniel Sjoyland, no idea, Bernard Diame, Igor Bishkan, Nick Barnby, and Christian Ziga. When we signed Christian Ziga, I was thrilled because he'd been part of that incredible German team in 96. As a an attacking left-back or wing-back, he was one of the best in Europe. We tapped him up to try and get him from Middlesbrough. Broken rules, got ourselves in trouble. And then he came and he was a disaster. Um, we also promoted Richie Partridge, Stephen Warnock, Stephen Wright, and Alan Navarro from the academy. We obviously had a great season that year. We finished third. Last day victory over Charlton away. Got us third. Robbie Fowler scored two. Danny Murphy scored one. And Michael Owen scored. That meant we finished a point ahead of Leeds and got third place, which put us into the Champions League. But that was sort of an afterthought in terms of the season that we had. We won the League Cup. We beat Chelsea. We beat. We hammered Stoke 8-0. Ziga, Schmitzer, Babel, three from Fowler, Hippia and Murphy. We beat Fulham 3-0 after extra time. We lost the first leg of the semi-final away to Crystal Palace. And Clinton Morrison got all chirpy about Michael Owen. And then we beat them 6-0 in the second leg. And then we beat Birmingham on penalties in the final. That final told us, or should have told us, what was to come in terms of a mad season. In the FA Cup, we beat Rotherham, we beat Leeds, we beat Man City. Then we got Tranmere in the quarterfinals, which was great. We got Wickham in the semifinals, which was great. We were very, very fortunate to hold on in that one. And then we played Arsenal in the final. And they absolutely battered us for 82 minutes. They absolutely trounced us. And they should have been 3 or 4-0 up. Sammy, no, Stefan Anshow made one of the great saves in FA Cup final history. Uh, handling the ball and getting away with it. Freddie Lundberg had put them one up on 72 when our resilience finally broke down. But then Michael Owen took over. A great half volley on 83 minutes. 
And then a goal that I'm still celebrating. <laughs> Patrick Berger's long ball down the left. Owen runs onto it. Takes it wide of, I think, Martin Keown. Shoots left-footed. Finds the bottom corner. David Seaman can do nothing about it. We win the FA Cup having been thoroughly outplayed. I went to that game with my Uncle George, who's an Arsenal fan, and he was so miserable after it was great. Might have been the best day I've ever had. (laughs) He was miserable. The whole way home, we had to get the ferry home because he didn't like to fly. (laughs) It was a night cross, and so it was like six hours. And he was miserable the whole way. It was great. In the UEFA Cup, we beat Rapid Bucharest. We beat Sloven Liberic. We beat Olympiakos. We beat Roma. Beat them 2-0 away. Lost 1-0 at home. We beat Porto in the quarterfinals. We beat Barcelona in the semifinals. And then in the final, in one of the maddest European finals of all time. We beat Alaves 5-4 after extra time. A golden goal, own goal, winning us the game. How we allowed them to score four, I still haven't figured out. Because we were really good defensively. Babel, Ancho, Hippia, Carragher. That defence had been rock solid that year. Vestafeld had been fairly solid in goal. Sander Vestafeld played 61 games that year. Marcus Babel played 60. Hippia played 58. Ancho played 53. Carragher played 58. Haman played 53. Stevie played 50. He played largely on the right side of midfield. He did play some games in the centre. Gary Mack was the primary starter next to Didi in midfield when we put out our best team. And then it was a kind of rotating cast on the left wing. Danny Murphy would play a bit. He'd often play right wing if Stevie was in the middle. Patrick Berger would play. Emil Heskey played left wing some games. Vladi Schmitzer played left wing some games. That was a great team. That really was a great team. It felt like we were maybe two players short of a real title contender at that point. But what a season. Three Cups, third in the league, back into the Champions League for the first time. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Um, Yeah, Gerard Houllier put us back on the European map that year. It was just, it was manic from start to finish. Moving on then to 01-02, and um, it looked to me at this point like we were going to build a league title winner, I have to say. Now, going out the door, Jimmy Traore left on loan, Leighton Maxwell went out, Frode Kippe went out, Kevin Doherty went out, Alan Navarro went out. We sold Sander Vestfeld. He wanted, he wanted treble, and we sold him. It was cold, but it was necessary. Uh, we sold Christian Ziga after a season because it hadn't really worked out. And we sold Robbie Fowler in December in a move that was absolutely heartbreaking because he was Robbie Fowler. He was ours. 
We brought in Abel Xavier from Everton, a transfer and a career at Liverpool in which the most memorable thing I can remember about him, we brought him in ostensibly because there were some doubts over Babel's health. Um, and we wanted that same type of, you know, tall centre-back type of right-back. But the most notable thing I can remember with him, other than the hair and the beard, is he was been interviewed on, I want to say it was like Soccer Saturday or something on BBC. Like, what was it called? Football Focus. Football Focus. And um, he's been interviewed at the training ground of Everton. I don't think they were at the new one. I think it was the old training ground. And he was asked about the Liverpool move. And next thing you hear, all you hear is, don't leave, Abel. Please don't leave. And the camera pans up and there's Gaza hanging out a window, roaring at Xavier not to leave the club. So that's about all I remember about him as a Liverpool player. We signed John Arnorisa to be our new left back, which didn't bode well for Carragher at the time, but Babel's injury and Xavier not being, or Babel's illness and Xavier not being very good meant Carra went back to right back. We signed Milan Barros, who was very exciting at the time. And then we did a weird thing. And we spent huge amounts of money on two goalkeepers. We signed Jersey Dudek, who was one of the most highly regarded goalkeepers in Europe, playing for Feyenoord, nicknamed the Polish Wall. And then we signed Chris Kirkland, who was the most highly regarded young English keeper to come along in a long, long time. And the logic was solid enough. You know, you get... Dudek for now, Kirkland for the long term. The problem was it it added into our budget massively. Now, maybe Julier thought that's all he needed, having gotten in Risa, but he needed another one in midfield. It would have made more sense to spend that Kirkland money on a midfielder, but it is what it is. Uh, that season, we finished second. This is the legendary 10 games from greatness season. Uh, this is also the season which Julier was was absent for five months, having had a heart attack. Um, finished second in the league, seven points off off Arsenal. We, to be fair to us, we we had a really good league season. We had a poor spell between December, mid December, mid January, but the back half of the season we were great. After beating United away on the 22nd of January, we only dropped points twice at home to Everton in what was a disappointing game, and we lost away to Spurs. Arsenal were just so good that year that it didn't really matter what we did. Uh, the the FA Cup, we lost to Arsenal 1-0 away. I believe they did the double that year. We went out the first round of the League Cup. Th- those were very disappointing things. Uh, in the Champions League, we qualified. We got into the first group stage. We qualified. We got into the second group stage. Only won one of our six games there, by the way. Uh, the last game, Roma at home. It's the game Julier came back for. And then we went out to Bayer Leverkusen. Is that the 10 games from greatness season? Or is it the following year? That is the 10 games from greatness, isn't it? I think it is. I do think it is. Uh, we lost to Bayer, to Bayer Leverkusen. Michael Ballack absolutely destroyed us. Um, yeah, so that... Look, second in the league was really good. It was disappointing the way we were out of the Cups. We did well in the Champions League, considering it was our first crack at it. But 
it, it could have been better. It could have been better. Um, moving on to 0203. And this is where things started to go really haywire for Julier. So out the door, Litmanen, Redknapp, Nielsen, McAllister, Sjoyland, Xavier, Barnby, and Stephen Wright. Somehow we got real money for Stephen Wright. Coming in the door, uh, up, upgraded from the academy or promoted from the academy, Michael Foley, Sheridan, Danny O'Donnell, John Ots- Ops- uh, John Otsemabor, whose most memorable moment was getting shot in the arse, and Neil Meller. Uh, we signed Alu Diara, who was really highly rated. Really, really highly rated. We signed Patrice Luizzi. We signed Anthony Talak and Florin Cinema Pongol, who at the at that point were the two most highly rated underrating players in the world. And neither of them obviously worked out. But they did they did both have moments. They had they were Actually, really important in the Champions League win in 05. Letalak was brilliant in centre midfield in one game. Was it against Juventus? Or was it off the right in that game? Either way, he had one brilliant game in that run. And Cinema Pongol changed the game against Olympiacos when he came on at half time. Got an assist, made another goal, and was just fantastic. And then tore his ACL not long after. Um,. But this is where it got real spooky. So we were linked with Michael Ballack. And Julier chose to sign Bruno Sheru and called him the next sedan. And you know, when we got Nanelka in on loan the previous year and he'd done really well, we all assumed we'd keep him. Instead, we let him go and spent more money than it would have cost to buy a Nelka on El Hadj Juff. We'd all looked at Wenger and seen him find gems that we hadn't heard of, like Patrick Vieira. And when we got Julier, we foolishly thought, he'll find us the next Vieira. Instead, he bought Salif Jao. Salif Jao, El Hadj Juff, Bruno Sheru. What an absolute weapon of a summer. Uh, we did win the League Cup this year, which was nice. We beat Southampton, beat Ipswich, beat Aston Villa, played Sheffield United, Michael Tong scored twice. There was some sort of spitting incident I think between Michael Brown of them and Phil Thompson. I can't remember the exact details though, but I'm almost certain Neil Warnock was their manager. I'm fairly certain. Let me just check that. I'm fairly certain it was Neil Warnock. And I remember there was a bit of a war of words in the press before the second leg. Um, Yes, Neil Warnock was the manager. And he was a, a, a bigger prick back then as he has been since. Uh, we beat them 2-0 at Anfield in the second leg. And then we played Manchester United in the final and beat them 2-0. Gerard with a deflected goal and then Michael Owen wrapped it up for us. Uh, in the FA Cup, we went out in the fourth round, losing to Crystal Palace in a replay. In the uh, Champions League, 
We got dumped out in the group stage. We finished third. We dropped into the Europa League. That was an easy group as well. Valencia were good. They had Rafa. They were good. But Basel and Spartak Moscow, we beat Spartak twice and we drew with Basel twice and got dumped out. Mess. We went into the UEFA Cup. We beat Vietas Arnhem, beat Oxair, and then got knocked out by Celtic. Celtic would go on to the final that year, in fairness. But it was disappointing. If we'd gotten by them, I do think we could have won the competition. Although Mourinho in the final, maybe not. Um, we were not good in the league that year. Not good at all. We finished fifth. It was very, very disappointing. Um, into Jed's final season then, the 3 4 campaign. And uh, lots of players leaving. Peggy Arfixed, Patrick Berger, Abel Xavier, Marcus Babel, Alu Diara, Gregory Vignal, Stephen Warnock, Neil Meller, Jonathan Osemabor, Figard Hegem, Paul Jones, we brought in an emergency loan because we got some injuries. Um, we promoted David Mannix, Stephen Gillespie, Chris Butler, Stephen Vaughan from the academy. Like I said, we brought in Paul Jones on an emergency loan. Uh, we signed Darren Potter, Carl Mediani, and our big summer signings were Steve Finnan and Harry Kuehl. Kuehl, everybody was excited about. Finnan, people were like, why are we signing this fellow that used to play for Notts County? As it turned out, Finnan was the much better buy. Um, we would go on and finish fourth that year. Not a bad season. We were miles off the top three, it should be pointed out. Like United finished third, 15 points ahead of us. Uh, we were just lucky that the Champions League spots had been expanded to four for that year. Uh, in the FA Cup, we went out in the fifth round, losing to Portsmouth in a replay. In the League Cup, we went out to Bolton, losing 3-2 at home. I believe they were lower league at the time. And in the UEFA Cup, we got to the fourth round. We beat Olympia Ljubljana. We beat Stoja Bucharest when they were still Stoja Bucharest. We beat... Lesky Sofia, loving the trips to Eastern Europe. And then we lost to Marseille. Drew 1-1 at home, lost 2-1 away. Didier Drogba absolutely battered us in that game and obviously would, would come to the Premier League with Chelsea and haunt us for years as well. Um, and that was it. After that season, Julier was fired. Uh, he tried to spin it that it was his idea. I've never seen anybody have the idea that they be fired. Uh, Dave Maddox broke the story. Dave Maddox, rather, broke the story that Julier was to be fired. And that was the last time he was right about anything. That's 19 years ago, just to be clear. And from there, it's history. Rafa arrives and we go on and we have Istanbul. But we get Istanbul because of Julier getting us in the top four. And it was a nice late run, five games unbeaten with three wins that got us, snuck us into the top four and got us Champions League football from where we would go on and win the European Cup. Jed was, as a manager, Jed was good. As a human, Jed was great. As a purchaser of players, he started great and then slowly declined and slowly declined and then fell off a cliff. 
and then fell off a big old cliff because there were some absolute stinkers in there. El Hadj Juff remains one of the worst signings we've ever made. He also remains one of the worst people we've ever signed. This is an extraordinarily long daily read, but let me just give you what we have on AnfieldIndex.com. Stephen Smith has a great piece up about why Liverpool were right not to target Declan Rice and Mason Mount. Mia has a piece up about Harvey Elliott. There's a piece up about Dominic Zaboslai. Andrew Beasley has a piece up about Diogo Jota. And then Trev has a piece up. It is entitled Goodbyes and Goodbyes. This is part one. Favourite Liverpool signings and worst Liverpool departures. Trev has written about his favourite Liverpool signings. I have written about the worst Liverpool departures. So it's it's two pieces that are one piece. Um, his is about 1,700 words. Mine's about 2,500 words. Uh, Trev's is out now. Mine will be out probably by the time you hear this. So do give both of them... Do give both of them a a read when you get a chance. Uh, Trev's will be the better written. Um, but, you know, I think mine's okay as well. So there you go. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Trev has five players and I have five players. And uh, just a quick scan there. I, I can see I fully agree with Trev's five. So that's it, folks. That's all I've got. You get 40 minutes of me today. Aren't you lucky people? I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.